welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. It's awesome. We're in for some fun this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going to continue our series, uh, Saints Among Sinners. And uh, for those of you who are unaware of what that is, it's a series that we're in right now. We're up to week nine. And uh, basically, it's a study of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a book found in the New Testament written by Paul to a local church in Ephesus, written some 2,000 years ago. And uh, Paul does a brilliant job of highlighting first the importance of understanding our position in Christ, And then he starts unfolding our responsibilities that we have based upon our new position. Because before Spider-Man said it, Paul said it. With great power comes great responsibility. And that is true for every Christian. When you find yourself in Christ, it's a powerful position. But with great power comes great responsibility. And so this morning, we're going to pick up from Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 22 to 33. But before I read, I just want to simply say this, that up to this point, Paul has been highlighting a new standard for a new society, namely the church. And now he shifts gear a little bit and starts looking at new relationships that the new people in Christ find themselves in. And he refers specifically to the home and to the workplace. We're going to look at the home front today and we'll look at the workplace into the future. He looks at the relationships between a husband and wife. We're going to look at that today. Then he goes on to the relationship between parents and children. We'll look at that next week, being it's Mother's Day and all. And then he goes into the relationship between masters and servants, or bosses and workers. See, he was highlighting some things long before some of our experts today were. What I love about Paul was, although he was a spiritual man, he was a very practical man. It was Paul himself who was caught up into the third heaven and saw visions, things he couldn't quite put into words. And yet with all this incredible knowledge and insight and dreams and vision and depth of spiritual maturity that he had, he writes very practically. Because Paul knows that we are more than just spiritual beings. Churches that want to just get together and and play church and and, and tickle one another's spirit and sing all day and and, and worship all day and and, and, and just just stay in the four walls of the church, I think have missed the mark. Because the Bible is very practical by nature. Paul understands that we are sexual beings. He highlighted that fact before Dr. Freud. He highlights the fact that we are temporal beings, that we are tied to generations that belong to one another. He also knew that we were material beings, 
that we are part of an economic structure. And all of these things need managing well. And so in the midst of the need for prayer, which Paul highlights, Paul spoke in tongues. He spoke in tongues more than all of the believers at that time. He had a very strong spiritual foundation. And on that strong spiritual foundation, he talked very practically about how to do work, how to do life, how to do marriage, how to do family, how to do all those practical things. And that's what we're going to look at today. The main theme of today is husband's and wives. And what better way to learn how to do husbanding and wifing than in the local church? Much better than on television. So I want to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, wives, now now just, just bear with me, okay? Just bear with me. Let me read it all. We'll explain it later. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul's teaching highlights between the person... And their role. And we're looking at the difference between the role of a husband and a wife this morning. And to help me out, I'm going to ask my brother Pete to join me on stage. So you can put your hands together for Pete, please, as he comes. Grab a seat on either end, that'd be great. And I'm also going to ask my wife, Kath, to join me on stage. So why don't you welcome her? Hi, babe. Hello. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is the duty of the husband and the duty of the wife. And we're going to look at things like headship, submission, love, and respect. And so by virtue or by way of just starting, I'm going to ask you just very quickly, Kath, just to tell us how long you've been married who your husband is, and how many kids you have. All right. I've been married, or we've been married 21 years this year. Tony is my husband, for those of you who don't know. And we've got three children. Our eldest daughter, Jordan, will be 15 this year. Our son, Mitch, was 13. And our youngest daughter, Bailey, will be seven. Good. To my left is my brother. He's been my brother my whole life. 
His name's Pete. Why don't you tell us who you're married to and how many children you have? This could take a while. I'm married to Sally Ann. I've been married to her for nearly 20 years. She's certainly the love of my life. And we have five children together. We have Ashari, uh, Hannah, Samuel, Isabella and Michaela. I'm not going to tell you how old they are because I'll probably get one of them wrong at least. <laughs> Did he leave any out, Sally? Didn't forget any? Any more on the way? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Do you want to tell us anything else, Pete, that we don't? It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> don't look at me, then. <laughs> we'll just keep practising. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. There we go. Cool. <laughs> We're going to have fun today. I don't know what we're going to say. don't know what we're going to get through, but we're going to have fun nonetheless. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about headship and submission. Because these two things, you know, conjure up a lot of things in people's mind. They're not very well-received words. And so I'm going to throw first to Pete and ask him to speak into headship and firstly, what does headship mean in your understanding according to the scriptures? Shall I start with what it doesn't mean? <laughs> Why don't you start with what it doesn't mean first? <laughs> well, I think, I think there's, a, there's a misconception about Christian marriage, you know, where we talk about uh, male headship. It's always, I think, the perception outside of the church and, and possibly in the church as well because of some of the ways this has worked out that it's often a, a very one-sided affair, that it's about a man living at the expense of a woman. It's about a man ruling the roost and a woman almost being a doormat. That, that is a caricature of Christian marriage that is a million miles from the truth, but nonetheless it's very big in people's thinking. And so you know, that's, that's what it's not. What it is, ultimately, it's about responsibility. God gives responsibility for leadership to a man. And that responsibility for leadership ultimately, I believe, is to create an environment, an atmosphere in the home that will help his wife to flourish and become the person that God has actually intended her to be. And so for me, in my home, you know, Sally Ann has some very distinct gifts and some, some, some passions and desires that, that God has placed there. And so really it's for me as a husband to I recognise those things and then to create an environment as best I possibly can that will help her to be able to live in the fullness of those things and get to the end of life having fulfilled her purpose for God and, and to have done it with joy, ultimately. Fantastic. Do you want to add to that, Gath? Yeah. Um, I was just thinking in preparing for this, I'll, I'll give you a bit of background because um, obviously I get the opportunity to talk about submission and when you say the word submit, I mean, the hair on the back of most women's neck starts to stand up because it has such a negative connotation. And I think what you have to understand about my background is when people perceive me, they see me as a strong, confident woman, which I believe I am. I come from a background of um, very female-dominated leadership, great dad, but absent in terms of leadership. I've got a leadership gift on my life. So in some sense, I suppose I'm a poster girl for feminism. And yet, I have to be completely honest with you, I have found submission to be easy. I think as the church, we can overemphasise it. We try to 
look into it too deep and too hard. It has been easy for me. But I want to share with you the secret of my success. And the secret of my success is the man who sits to my left. I can submit easily because I have someone I can submit to easily because of who he is. And so I have to stand here today and say, or sit here today and say, you know what, submission has been easy for me because I've got a godly man. And I just thought, I've got to start from the beginning and I want to get the attention of the single girls and just say, you know what, it goes back further than just now we're married and submission. Submission starts before marriage. And who you choose to do life with is a major major decision. I can submit easily. Why? Because I've got a godly man. And so I understand that that's not everybody's uh, background here. It's not everybody's reality. But it is a God command that women submit. And no matter how, where your marriage is, if you sort of think, you know, I wish I had that information before I got married... I'm, a, I'm sorry that's your uh, testimony, that's your experience, but there is still, if we would come under God's way and do what God has asked us, which is submit, there are still areas, I believe, in your marriage you can submit, and when you do that, uh, the favour of God will come, and hopefully some of the things we share about will make it easier. And that's, again, a big push while we have real men. We have real men because we've got real women in this church, strong, confident Great women, great gifts, great talent. And I'm, we're tired of women having to backslide, to have to not be who they fully are created to be because their men won't lead. So we have things like real men because we want our men to rise up so that us women can submit, submit joyfully, submit easily, and uh, God receives glory in that. So Good. hopefully I answered that. You know, when you're in a room of this size with this many people, there'll be some that'll just be able to say yes and amen real easily. There'll be others who'll be saying, man, I wish I was married because you're single. There'll be others who um, uh, have seen a bad example of marriage and, and, and just don't want a bar of it. Um, there'll be others that are in marriages that are anything but harmonious. And, and so there's a whole heap of struggles. And so we realize that everything we say up here today, not everything will be for where you're at. But I would ask that you extend grace. Because our role is to lay a platform for what uh, it can look like for all of our young singled men and women. We want to give them a hope that marriage can just be wonderful and awesome. <coughs> but we also want to help practically for those who may not be in that place. And so hopefully there'll be something for everyone today. Um, based upon headship, Pete, give us some examples of what it looks like when you actually get this right. Well, I think, again, sally Ann and I do a reasonable amount of marriage counselling and have done. And again, if I start with the negative of what it looks like when you get it wrong, I think, because um, so often, you know, men are busy doing the things that they think demonstrate leadership and love and all that sort of thing. But, but at the end of the day, they just are often absent in terms of bringing some direction. And so what often happens in a home is, is the, the, the mum, the wife... Um, is left facing the brunt of things like financial decisions or perhaps child-raising decisions or even 
spiritual leadership decisions. Okay, when a man is absent and not taking responsibility for those things, he's too busy watching TV and flicking channels and, or too busy out with his mates or doing other things, it creates a void. And ultimately, it leaves, it leaves our wives exposed then to have to, to, to bear the brunt of some of those decisions that ultimately we are called to, to make the final call on. So good leadership, I think, is about taking responsibility for those things. It, again, it's not lording it over. It's not, it's not putting your foot down. It's not necessarily shouting and, and, and you know, throwing your weight around. But good leadership is being involved. Good leadership is recognising what is needed. Um, again, when Sally and I got married, you know, we, we were heading in the same direction and we, we both had very, um, you know, we didn't know all the ins and outs of what life would ultimately deal us. But we had a, at the core of our relationship was we wanted to serve God together. And so, you know, there's a, there's a sense of, as a leader in our home, I need to be, take responsibility for making sure that there's a spiritual climate in our home that is, that is heading in the right direction. And I can't just leave the spirituality in our house up to Sally Ann. Okay, so that's, that's an example. If I, if I, you know, financially, again, if I withdraw and say, oh, you know, your home, you, you pay the bills or whatever, and leave Sally Ann with the brunt of the financial pressure, because often men, I think, are great at spending the money. You know, they think, Particularly if it's in our home, you know, um, Sally Ann is, I say with tongue in cheek, really a stay at home mum because she does anything but stay at home and she's certainly very, very busy in her own right doing different things. But, um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm the breadwinner, if you like. And many men, if they are the, the, the chief breadwinner in the home, they think, well, I earn it, I can spend it how I want it. And what they don't recognise is that at home, you know, Mum, wife goes shopping and faces the fact there's not too much money in the bank this week, so skimps and shraves and, and, and denies herself in order that the kids can have all they want and all that. And then, you know, then we'll go home and, and have, having worn the pressure of that, we'll get home and hubby's got a new motorbike or a new fishing rod or a new this or a new that just because there's a total lack of responsibility when it comes to financial things. Okay, so for men, it's about knowing and setting a budget. And it's about living selflessly. It's about making decisions that benefit the family as a whole rather than just your lifestyle, your wants, your desires, your needs. And that applies at every level. Again, parenting. You know, too many men just leave it to their, to their wives to bring up the children because, you know, they've had a hard day. They get in, they want to just rest and all that sort of thing. And they leave all the tough stuff to their wives. But being a man is stepping up and stepping in, not just losing your call. I mean, I've done that, I must admit. Um, you know, none of us are perfect. But, you know, it's about being proactive in terms of helping bring up the kids and setting boundaries and, and bringing discipline and particularly jumping hard on disrespect towards our wives and those sorts of things. That's, I think, some of the things that would be, as men, we should be doing if we're to be seen to be taking responsibility and, and leading from the front as opposed to just being like a, a spineless jellyfish that's a, a burden um, on our families, you know, and... Often that's the case. I'm not saying it, um, you know, any guy sort of sets out to do that. But if we're not intentional about, about this thing called leadership and responsibility, well, ultimately we'll just go the easy path. And the easy path is sit in front of the TV or it's go play golf, ride your bike, get on the motorbike, go fishing, all those sorts of things that, that guys are renowned for and, and leave our wives to just face the brunt of, of the tougher things that are going on at home. If I could have my two cents worth as a man, because Pete's mentioned many things there, and it's easy for a man to say, well, are we not allowed to go fishing? Are we not allowed to buy anything? That's not the point. Leadership is about doing first things first. And so Pete is not saying you're not allowed to do all those things, but it's about knowing what are your priorities. To me, that is leadership 
101. And so when you have money left over, having paid the bills and, and made sure that you, uh, everything that your wife is in need of in the home, etc., 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 is in place, and then there's some money left over, hey, by all means, hey, go out with your mates. By all means, once your wife is satisfied with the amount of time you've given her and the family, etc. As a woman, Kathy, you want to respond? Yeah, I think as Pete was sharing, several words come to my mind. And so you're talking about when there's biblical leadership and there's male headship, what, um, what do you see in the marriage? I think you see peace. It doesn't mean there's co- an absence of conflict because you've got two individuals who've got self-will that we're trying to, under God, get control of and um, submit there. But you've got two individuals come together. But when you've got the right exertion of leadership, there's a general sense of peace in the home. There's security for a woman to know that, you know what, as Pete was talking about, if you're doing the budgets, you know this, to go to the shops and know there's security because I've got money. We're working this through together. I think it provides an, an avenue where gifts and gifting can be released. You know, sometimes when you talk about feminism and women, they're trying to get their rights and trying to be this and trying to be that. When there's true leadership, giftings flourish and they just rise and there's communication that comes and People can say, you know what, you're good at that, so we just let you do that. That's not um, you usurping somebody. That's just that's my gift rising to the top. And because there's male leadership in there, my gift is al- is allowed to flourish. And I don't have to go externally or out of the home or to other areas to let that and um, find my niche and find my security and find my identity. I can all be found in the home in the way I'm created in our partnership together. But it comes when there's uh, biblical leadership right from the beginning. Yeah, that's good. Can, can I just add to that? Um, I think I had a great point just a minute ago, Kath, when you... Sorry. <laughs> no, with this, with this issue of, of security, um, you know, when... Oh, mate, I really had a great point. Seriously, I did, and I've just about lost it. Keep talking. <laughs> did you hear that? You just told a woman to keep talking. I did, I did. <laughs> But I'll be submissive, yes, honey? That, that, is, that is not right. being a good husband, right? No, now. it's not, is it? Um, it will come to me. It, when we're talking about security, you know, if we, don't, if we don't lead from the front, we do create an environment where our, our wives are feeling exposed and it will have a negative impact on what happens in our, in our place. And really, leadership is about bringing that security, not about dominating, as I said before, and, you know, some, again, there's a caricature of this. It's like guys think, I'm the leader, I've got to stomp around the house and every day I need to be making decisions that make my wife know that I'm the boss and tell her what to do. That's not what we're talking about. In a healthy Christian marriage, what you'll, it's very rare when you actually get to the point of, I think, where a man puts his foot down and says, this is what we're doing. Because for the most part, you know, you're moving in the same directions. You've both got wisdom. You've both got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Bible to guide. A lot of decisions are self-evident, to be honest. You know, even financial decisions. If you sit down and have a good chat, you're going to work out the right way to go. But sometimes there are decisions that are difficult, and they're not obvious. You know, I think I mentioned some time ago from the pulpit here. You know, when we when we wanted to, um, we're looking for more time in our day. And we took a shari out of one school, put her into another school because just the proximity was closer. So therefore, we didn't have so much time travelling. And that was a decision. We talked about it. We weighed up all the pros and cons, you know, which is just good communication. That's what we should be doing as husbands. We're not just making decisions at the expense of our family, but talking it through. We did that. We talked it through. We made the decision. Shari went to a different school, which was great. We had an extra hour in the day. 
But within a week, you know, Sally Ann, as a woman, being more nurturing, being more, you know, emotionally in tune with her daughter, she's beginning to think, oh, I hope she's making friends, and have we made the right decision? Should we send her back to King's? And at that point, I as the head of the home, to say, look, we've made the decision. This is what we're going to do. She'll find new friends. And, and that was a moment of putting my foot down. Mm. Okay, and it just helped Sally and keep her line when her emotions were just starting to get the yeah. better of her. Yeah. And the, the times when that happens in our marriage are very few and far between, to be honest, because for the most part, we're on the same page. We communicate. We talk things through. And most times, you do come to a conclusion together. And, uh, you know, and that's part of leadership. It's not, you know, again, I said before about budget and finances. If you're married to an accountant, guys, you'd be a fool not to listen to your wife regarding the budget. But at the end of the day, it's just taking responsibility for making sure that the spending goes in the right place. It's not, it's not living in a vacuum. It's also about seeking advice beyond because, again, no one's expecting you, not God, nor your wife, nor your kids to have the sum total of all wisdom and knowledge when it comes to things marital or, or even other, you know, financial, etc. And so as men, it's about humbling ourselves and seeking good advice from others. Because, you know, we like to think we know everything. We've got all the answers. And, and if we have to ask questions, it's a sign of failure. But really, the failure is to, not to ask the questions. So if we are struggling in an area in our marriage or financially or whatever it might be, to go and ask those who, who are further ahead than us is great. And I think, you know, there'd be plenty of, of wives in this particular auditorium right now who would be cheering if their husbands would swallow their pride and seek some, some real good advice on some things rather than just tough it out and keep going in the, in the direction that's causing harm. What would you do if one party in the marriage wanted a cat and the other one didn't? <laughs> Go with the one who didn't. <laughs> what would you say then? Go with the one who didn't. <laughs> Go with the one who didn't want a cat. Why is that? Because I don't like cats. <laughs> This is a question for both of you. Um, how, how do you lead a woman that is better in a certain area than you are? And how do you submit to a man who isn't as good as you in a certain area? Speaking to that. Well, Sally Ann's better than me in a whole, whole bunch of areas, I think. Um, but again, it's a matter of recognising that, that God has brought us into this thing together. And in our, in our unity as a couple, he wants to do far more f- through both of us than we'd ever would have done as individuals. And so God's actually, Sally Ann is actually God's gift to me. And I recognise that there are gifts and talents that he's placed in her life that I would be foolish not to recognise and to um, uh, give credit where credit's due. And so again, when, it, when there's a final decision attached to the end of it, basically... You know, the decision might be a conclusion that's been reached because of Sally Ann's wisdom or perspective or insight or closeness to a certain situation. But I, I carry the buck for it at the end of the day. If I, can, I can go against her wisdom if I like. And if, I get it, and, if, and if it turns into a disaster, I need to be man enough to go and apologise. You know? But it's just really this whole leadership thing. It's about when we stand before God, he's looking for, a, he's looking for someone who's going to carry the weight of the decision. He's, going to be, he's, called, he's looking for someone who is going to be the... the um, the tiebreaker, if you like, because sometimes you're coming at things from a different angle and God says, hey, look, you, might, you both might have really awesome points, but it's about, I'm going to leave the decision, the responsibility for the decision rests with the man. And any man that doesn't listen to his wife in the areas that she's, that she's gifted in and talented in and skilled in and has experience and education in, well, he's probably being a little bit foolish, I think. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what we have to remember is that marriage is two individuals coming together, but they are complementary others 
And often you see in marriage this competitiveness, like this one-upmanship and trying to be better and trying to usurp authority. And uh, I love Elizabeth Elliot says that um, when the Bible says, it's not good that man should be alone, I will make a suitable helper. It's, the word is helpmate. She said it's not helpless mate. And I think there has to be that recognition of what's your gift, what's your talent, how can we work together? So in our context, really there's... I can't think of anything that I'm better than Tony at, actually. So, again, it's simple for me, but he'll use my strengths and my gifts and, and we rely on his. And when it comes to what Pete was saying, that there's this area that maybe I'm thinking I don't know about that, I'm not really sure, as long as I've voiced my opinion, I've made put my so-called two cents, actually, this is what concerns me, this is what I'm not sure about, this is what... And then I, my responsibility then is to back off and say, as the man, you can lead the um, way in this. If there's a history of poor decisions in the past and not being... Because remember, trust is earned and respect is earned. And so if in the past there's been this... Um, there's not a good pattern of, of smart decisions, you want to be making sure you've got a safety net. And I think that's the wonderful thing about church is there's a great conglomeration of leaders who've got gifts and talents and you're wanting to um, come alongside and draw alongside so that someone else can speak into that situation. Because as a woman, you don't want to nag them. So even if you're actually you've got a better understanding or insight into that situation, you've presented your case, there does have to come that time when we say, you know what, this is now your decision. But you could suggest that actually, you know, maybe you should go and see so-and-so because they have experience in that area. So... I know one thing you've often told your girlfriends, that you love the opportunity that you have as a wife and a woman to be able to share all your thoughts, all your skills, all your expertise, and then rest in the knowledge that the man has to make the decision. And then the responsibility is to not go, tell me to say. (laughs) But you know what, girls, you have to understand, that is a privileged position. That I get to say what it is I feel is right, I get to have my opinion, I get to have my say, and then I get to back off and come under the authority of the man who makes the decision, and then I can, again, rise and fall. I think that's a wonderful privilege, because he has to stand before God, I have to stand before God, and the decisions he's made, he'll be held accountable for. And if he's gone against maybe what I've said... that's between him and God. My responsibility then is, again, not rub his nose in it, not try and lord it over him, because you know what? There but for the grace of God got each and every one of us. And that's, again, you you will just cut your nose off to spite your face if you do that. And then you do that one, two, three times, you wonder why there's going to be tension in the marriage and he won't take your advice or he won't listen to you because you've just set yourself up. Can I I just just, um, probably conclude in this area, but... You know, at the end of the day, for, for women, submission is an act of trust in God. Really, God stands behind your man. And I would um, suggest that it would be better to, to trust God and do things his way and in so doing, invite his blessing into your home and give him room to move in your man's life. Because two wrongs never make a right. If you're, if you're living in rebellion, if you're making his life harder, if you're going against God's known will for your life, that always gets ugly from there on in. And so, and I know there's always degrees of this, but I'm just saying for the most part, I think it's actually an act of trust and faith for you to hand over some of the things that you've been holding on to too tight. And sometimes for good reason. You know, some of you have, have, have not always had Christian husbands. Some of your husbands have just recently saved and they're just learning this thing. 
and they've taken no responsibility and they're just, they're just learning the ropes and so it's hard to, to give things over. But nonetheless, just trust God that he will work as, you, as you, know, you will create an environment of blessing in your home by being obedient to his known will. Very good. Um, you're a pastor. <laughs> Have you ever had an argument with your wife? Absolutely. You're a pastor's wife. Have you ever had an argument with your husband? Yes. Were you ever right? Not very often. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, honestly, honestly, uh, he is Mr. Right, and not, and not, and not in a bad sense. You just got to. You just got to have humility to say, you know what? In this situation, you're absolutely right. I have, I have been wrong more times than I've been right. Like I said, my secret weapon. The my husband makes me look way better than I am. Yeah, way better than I am. He's, he just is. He's great. Thank you, babe. That's all right. <laughs> I'm not so great, but I'm working on it. And Jesus is working on it. <laughs> I think you've just modelled the answer I was after. What do you do? When you have had an argument, you know, you've been married almost 20 years, what do you do? You know the scriptures, you're a pastor, and yet you still argue. What went wrong? How do you work through that? I think the best thing to do is just to be quick to say sorry, to be honest, because even if you're right, you can be wrong. And, you know, obviously, that, and many times in marriage, you know, we can have the best intentions, um, but the impact of our best intentions can be negative. And we can cause hurt and pain. And if we stand firm on our, you know, well, I didn't mean that to happen, and justify ourselves, now let's just acknowledge the pain that we've caused. Let's just say sorry. Let's just move on. And, and you know, where we've got it wrong, let's be really, really sorry. And, and let's just put things right where we possibly can. And, you know, that shouldn't be a long process that takes months and months and months. You know, that should be happening on a, on a daily basis. Can you believe it? Time is almost up. I've got two more questions for both of you. And one is aimed at those that are married, that, but maybe not in the best place. A piece of advice from both of you for them. And the other would be aimed at the singles that aren't married. What would your advice be to them? So firstly, those that may be struggling in an area in their marriage, without answering all the questions they may have right here, right now, what one piece of advice would you give them? Don't give up. Don't give up. Just seek help because every problem is fixable, particularly when we have the awesome God that we do who wants your marriage to work more than you do. And if you will humble yourselves and you will seek help and you will take a, a, an attitude of, of, you know, a lowly attitude rather than a prideful, you know, it's all about what she's got to do or what he's got to do sort of approach, you can make your marriage work. And, and the reason I'm so confident about this, again, there, there's heaps of studies done about marriage. People that get divorced, it doesn't get easier. Hang on to your marriage. Make it work. Because even if you can have a successful remarriage, the effort that it will take, if you put that into your first marriage, you'll have an awesome first marriage. Or second, you know, wherever you're at right now is what I'm saying. Make it work. Because, you know, all things being equal, what you'll, look, you'll look back in, in three, four, five years' time, hopefully less, but you'll look back and you'll realise that whatever you're going through right now is just a bump in the road. And that the lessons you learnt through it and the friendships you develop and the, you know, those things are going to propel you into the future if you'll just hang in there and keep going. For me, I'm a, um, I'm a justice girl, which is really bad because I find myself going, but that's not fair and they should get what they deserve. And then you, 
constantly hear the voice of, the God, of God saying, well, let's talk about what we should get, what we deserve. And as soon as you have that revelation of actually, you know what? If I got what I deserved, I just wouldn't be here. And I often tell people, you know what? At the end of the day, whatever your struggle is, there is nothing you can do that can change them. You are only responsible for this. So take your eyes off of that and put it back on here. Say, you know what? I don't like what's happening there, whatever. But God, work on me. Work on me. Work on me. Because if I work on me with you, I'm going to leave you. Because he is God's son. He's my husband, but he's God's son. And so I want the father to work on him, but the father wants to work on me. So if whatever your struggle is, wherever you're going, I'm sure there are hundreds, thousands, millions of things you could pick up that God needs to do in his life or her life. But you know what? God, do it in me first. Do it in me first. This Christian yeah, outwalking, we've got to walk the Bible out. Someone has to give in somewhere. If we all hold on to our rights, well, we don't have any. If we go back to what Jesus did on the cross, we don't have any rights. If we got what we deserved, none of us would be here. We just got to remember, you know what? Work on me. Work on me. Work on me. That's all I have jurisdiction over. Often our marriages get these little cycles. You know, he says this, so she says that. So then he responds with this, and then she responds. And you've got all these little cycles going on in your relationship. If one person changes something in one of those cycles, it changes the responses ultimately. Good. And for our young people, not married. For our young people who are not married, don't compromise. Don't compromise on finding a believer. Don't compromise. You know, think about what you want in a person and then don't compromise those just because they're really good looking or because they're really rich or because they're really something else. Just have an idea of, of who this person needs to be. Who, who are you? And who do you need to complement you in this life? Because at the end of the day, God wants to bring you into a, make you a dynamic duo with some other person and have your life count significantly for him. And so you want a person that you can trust into the future with that. You, you, know, you can't answer all the questions, but you've got to have the basics in place. It's about character. It's about their commitment to God. Um, and if you get those things right, all things being equal, putting into practice the things that we're talking about, you're going to have an awesome life with someone. Looks fade. Muscles sag, things droop, things drop off. I meant droop down, sorry. Don't look at me. (laughs) How they treat you now is the best they're going to treat you. It doesn't get any better. They're working very hard right now to get your attention. What you cannot compromise is are they a godly person? Wives, submit to your husbands as much as they are submitted to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife like the church. Does he love God? Does she love God? Does she talk about God? Is, does he talk about God? There is, you know what? It doesn't matter how good looking they are now. It doesn't matter how exciting they are now. It matters their relationship, how they treat God is how they'll treat you. Yeah. Good, Annie. And I think, sorry, just to, the reason that is so important is because when times get tough and you will have your moments, is that you need to be on the same foundation. You need to be fighting according to the same rules, if you like. If you have got different values, um, it's pretty much all over. But when you're both coming back to the same, or what, what really is first in like, okay, it's about my relationship with God. Okay, what does God say about marriage? Oh, okay, I've got to make this thing work first and foremost because of God. Even if I feel like... 
my wife is the antichrist at that particular moment. It's about my relationship to God first. So that will that that is a massive a massive um, it carries massive weight in a relationship. And that, like I said, you'll find that things are just a bump in the road. But if you don't have that same values to come back to, if you don't have the same people, if you don't have people talking the same sort of things in, that's why the divorce rate is what it is today. Closing comment. Um... Paul finishes Ephesians in this little section and he says, Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. How is it that he got it down to just those two things? Because I think it's part of our essential makeup as people. Um, you know, God has created, I think, men as, as um, providers and protectors. He's put something of that in us. And for us... You know, we tend towards feeling insignificant more than we do feeling insecure. And so I think it, it sort of speaks to that a little bit. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, for men, we get knocked if we're feeling disrespected, if we're feeling worthless. If we, and that's why, you know, the whole being out of work really rocks men often more than it rocks women because it's just part of who God has made us to be. Likewise with women... Um, probably speaking of Kath now, but, you know, there's that sense of it's about relationship and it's about security. Often women tend to, to be insecure about how they look and whether they're really loved and all that sort of thing. And so Paul, Paul was very insightful. I mean, he's just sort of speaking right into what psychologists are, you know, writing tons of books about today. Guys, if your wife is going to tend towards insecurity, so make sure she knows she's loved. And men, or women rather, your men are going to tend towards feeling disrespected, so make sure that you show them the respect that they need as men. I think we get so busy doing that we forget the being. And, you know, sometimes we dress it up and we want the house, the car, the kids, the job, the holidays, the whatever. But if you strip it all away, a woman wants to feel loved. I don't care if there's no holiday. I don't care if the house is cramped. I don't care if there's no food in the cupboard. If I'm feeling loved, you can conquer anything. And I think a man is the same. You know what? If he's feeling that he's not successful externally, like his job, he's not where he wants to be, that whatever. If he feels that his woman thinks he is it and a bit, he's happy. And that's why it gets down to love for a woman, respect for a man. I am Tony's biggest cheerleader. It is my responsibility. And yes, I do have a cheerleading costume that only he gets to see me in. Wow. It's my job. Just, just in terms of, <laughs> just in terms of, with a, for a word for the men, you know, if we are asked, if we, if you were challenged as a man about whether you loved your wife, for the most of us, it would be such a, an easy comeback. It would be, how dare you suggest I don't love my wife? The issue is not whether you love your wife. It really is what Cass says: Does she feel loved? And you know, as men, we are great at showing our love for our wives by going out, working hard, earning as much money as we possibly can, spending it on lots of nice things that we think she wants, um, having a bigger house or a better car and all those sorts of things. And often it's at the expense of what they really want, and that's us, our presence. And so, you know, it's just getting the cart before the horse. And I think for so many guys, if, if you really just stop for a minute and ask what's really required, what's really wanted, you'll find it's probably more of you. The money's fine, it's nice to have a nice house, nice to have all of that sort of thing. But if we get caught up in that and think that you know, we're showing our love that way, we can, we can really miss the boat. Okay, so just, guys, don't bog yourselves down in work. You know, live 
set a standard that you can live at and still be the man that your wife married and to be, you know, a dad for your kids. We'll talk about that next week. But, you know, that, that's really where life's at, not what we accumulate. You don't get to the end of your life and say, well, wish I'd have spent more time at the office, wish I'd have earned a bit more money um, and have, have left a trail of carnage relationally. That's great. You enjoy that? Let's put our hands together for Kath and for Pete. Thanks. You know, if nothing else, in the short time that we've had doing this, I hope you can feel safe knowing that you've got some leaders that have good marriages, that have some things in place that you are able to go to them about issues that may come into the future. My bit of advice to all those that are married in this place, if you're a husband, I would encourage you to go home to your wife and not so much tell her you love her, although I would say do that, but I'd ask her this question. Do you feel loved? That's what I'd ask every married man in this place to do. Go home and ask your wife, do you feel loved? That's my advice to all the men who are married. To all the women who are married, I would say this. Go home and ask your husband this question. Do you feel respected? And that will open up conversation that may need further counsel, further conversation, or outside help. But it, was all, it will all be good because it will set you on a path for a healthier, better marriage than you ever dreamed, hoped, or even imagined. To all of our young, single people in this room, I would want you to ask yourself this question. Do you want a fruitful life? Or do you want an eventful life? Because I think there's a lot of young people who don't want fruitful, they want eventful. They want the thrill of the chase. They want the pain of the breakup. And they want to Facebook it to the world. Up, down. There's a whole heap of excitement that comes with being in love. But those initial days never last. It's got to go beyond that. And for us to have a fruitful life, which is what the Bible talks about, we're going to have to redefine one word. It's this, boring. We're going to have to redefine what we think boring is. You might look at Kath and I up here and, 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 and see what we do, and you might think, oh, that's exciting. I want you to know a lot of what you admire or may admire about what Kath and I have is off the back of what you call boring. There's a whole heap of mundane in our life. There's a whole heap of not exciting that takes place in our life. That is true for my Bible reading. That is true for my gym sessions. That is true for a whole heap of things in our life. We have these incredible moments. We have a few really bad ones. But in the, there's a whole heap of stuff in the middle. And I think sometimes if we're honest, we don't want a boyfriend. We just want excitement. Young men, we don't, we don't, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really want a girlfriend or a relationship. We just want excitement. And we live in a world that propagates excitement. New things, new TV shows, new gadgets. You buy a, you buy a mobile phone and, and already, when's the new one going to come out? Aren't you holding the new one? Yeah, but when's the new one going to come out? 
And so if you want a marriage that can last, you just got to redefine boring. I was talking to a young girl recently and she's talking about a particular person of interest and the description of what she wanted a man. I thought, man, you just described somebody else. And we just got to have eyes to see. And so there's some good questions. Question the man who's married needs to ask his wife, do you feel loved? The question the wife has to ask her husband is, do you feel respected? And the young singles have to ask themselves, what do I want? An eventful life or a fruitful life? I'm going to choose fruit. And in choosing fruit, we have, we have an eventful life as well. We have excitement and joy in the midst of the stability. And it's just awesome. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.